going all in to dismantle racism. With Reverend Anetra Jones-Stevens, the Director of Diversity, Missions, and Justice in the Indiana Conference of the United Methodist Church, on episode number eight of the To Be Encouraged podcast with Bishop Julius C. Trumbull. But then you're going to have folks in minimization. Yeah, I know it exists, but you know what? We're just one human race. We're just all the beloved of God. And naturally, when I see you, I don't see color. You are welcome to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. Bishop Trimble is on a mission to encourage you with the love of Jesus Christ so you can rise to your highest potential. On To Be Encouraged, Bishop Trimble speaks to a discouraged world with a good word on the pandemic, racism, the environment, human sexuality, and the state of the church with a focus on centering your life on the love of Jesus Christ. Has there ever been a more needed time for an encouraging word to our world? This is your time to rise to your greatest potential and to be encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Tremble. Reverend Dr. Brad Miller here with you as your co-host on the To Be Encouraged podcast with Bishop Julius C. Tremble, the Bishop of the Indiana Area United Methodist Church. One of the joys we have uh, together is to talk to people involved with ministry and various forms of ministry. And today we are pleased to have with us Reverend Anetra Jones-Stevens, who is on the staff of the Indiana Conference United Methodist Church. She is the Associate Director of Diversity, Missions, and Justice Ministries for the Indiana Conference. This is where she deals with 16 areas of ministry, resourcing over 1,000 United Methodist congregations. And she also has responsibility for something we're going to talk about here today, which is the NRIN against racism. She has a stellar background in ministry, in, uh, in multicultural settings, uh, multiracial uh, settings and also in preaching and teaching and in service beyond the local church in all kinds of ways. We're going to get into that here today, but we welcome to the podcast. Bitch, we welcome to the podcast. First of all, you do your own podcast and also Reverend Anetra Jones-Stevens. Bishop, first of all, say hello to you. Then maybe you can give further introduction to uh, our guest here. Well, hello, Brad, and hello, Reverend Anetra Jones-Stevens. It's so good to have you here and all of our listeners uh, we just want to send out a blessing to to you and just ask that you multiply that blessing. Uh, people are desperately in need of a word of encouragement in these times. Uh, we know all of the things that are happening across the globe, whether it's in Ukraine or whether it's in Burma or whether it's uh, on the south side of Indianapolis. Uh, we know that we, we all have prayer concerns, we all have joys, and we all have challenges. And we have great opportunities. So we are taking advantage today of an opportunity to talk with uh, one of, I think, the prominent leaders uh, in the Indiana Conference and also one of the prominent uh, young leaders in the country working in the area of diversity, equity, inclusion, mission and justice, uh, our own Reverend Anetra Jones-Stevens. Welcome, Anetra. 
Welcome. Well, thank you all for having me. It is a privilege and an honor to be here with you, uh, Bishop Trimble and Reverend Brad Miller, and I am um, excited. And so I look forward to our conversation today. Well, that, that is awesome. Well, Bishop, I know you had several things you wanted to talk to, uh, to Anetra about here today regarding her role in ministry and some of her experiences. Yeah, Anetra, would you just share with uh share with our listeners, uh, many who will be United Methodists, but some who may not have little knowledge of the church at, at all, uh, uh, kind of in summary form, what you're currently doing in terms of your ministry. You've been a local church pastor. You've been engaged in uh, direct uh, social uh, justice action, the Black Lives Matter movement in Indiana. Uh, you, you have personal experiences of of encouraging young people, students to engage in living out their best lives. What are you currently doing now? And what do you see are some of the challenges facing both church and society? Uh, particularly, you know, for me, I like to talk about how do we how do we live into the beloved community? So say a little bit about uh, uh, what the work you're doing uh, and, and what you see some of our current contemporary challenges facing both church and society. Yeah, so thank you. Um, so I am I serve as the Associate Director of Diversity Missions and Justice Ministries. And as Brad mentioned, um, there are 16 ministry areas that fall um, under my direct leadership. Um, I provide leadership based on values of inclusion, diversity, equity, and anti-racism. Um, and so those values guide the work that I do in the conference. Um, and so that has also led me to reimagining what this role looks like. So I know that before um, this role was heavily focused on missions and resourcing the churches. Um, and we are still doing that through the 16 ministry areas. But in addition, because um, our values are inclusion, diversity, equity, and anti-racism. It has now um, led me to also take a look inward. So I'm having conversations with other conference, uh, other ministry areas within the conference, um, with leadership development, with church development, with the board of ordained ministries, um, to see how we can do things better and to also examine ourselves and see how from the head down, we begin to perpetuate racism um, in the Indiana conference. And so what I'm seeing is that it's not enough to hold the churches accountable, um, but we have to also take a look inside. Um, so that's a lot of the work that I'm doing. I'm finding myself these days doing a lot of consulting um, around these values of inclusion, diversity, equity, and anti-racism. And I love when I have an opportunity to speak with pastors, pastors reach out to figure out, you know, best practices for starting their first social justice ministry, their first anti-racism ministry, or maybe they want to preach on racism. Um, and I have an opportunity to provide some guidance and leadership uh, in that area. Um, so a lot of work around diversity, anti-racism. And then, of course, we have Reverend Jen Huff that is leading all of missions, doing a phenomenal job in that area. I would say the challenges are, um, the, the current challenges we have uh, 
it's around learning and awareness. Um, really raising awareness to the issues of racism. And so what I find is many, um, even of clergy, uh, you know, folks with master's degrees still don't have a clear understanding of how racism is systemic and institutional. And so when people hear racism and think that we're talking about solely individual persons, um, it causes folks to be on guard and to push back and to not want to talk about it. But when we look at it being systemic and institutional, it impacts all of us. Um, and per our baptismal vows, we all have a responsibility to respond and resist. Wow. Wow. Well, can you give a couple of examples of uh, some people, some people want to argue that, oh, the the more we talk about it, the worse it gets. If we just wouldn't talk about racism, you know, this is 2022. You know, it's not not 1962. You know, we we we've had a black president. We we have a, a, a black vice president, uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, we've had a, the nomination of a black Supreme Court justice uh, for the first time, a African American woman. Uh, maybe racism doesn't exist. And then people say, well, people say institutional, but they never tell me, what does that mean? Give me an example of systemic or institutional racism. Yeah. So I actually had this conversation. I did a, a an IDI debrief, and I don't know if we'll talk about that later, but an intercultural development inventory. Um, I did a debrief with, with a woman who was in a leadership role, and, and she was Hispanic. And we were having a conversation, and she said, you know, I always hear President Biden talking about racism, racism, racism. She said, but I think it's just a few people that are racist and it's not really a big deal. And so I began to explain to her uh, what institutional and systemic racism is. And so what I pulled up was I pulled up the statistics of homeowners in Indiana. And so, you know, we could look at well, you know, and, and I'm just going to throw these numbers out. These aren't exact numbers. Let's say that uh, 75% of homes in Indiana are owned, right? And 25% are rented. We just throw that out there. Okay. That's a blanket statistic. But when you parse it out by race, what you will find out is that about 95% of the 75% of homeowners are white. Right. And you have about two percent of homeowners are black. You've got about two uh, percent that are Asian, maybe one percent Hispanic. OK, well, um, well, maybe black folks and Hispanics just ain't buying homes. Well, you have to go back and you have to go look at you have to look at redlining. You have to look at the ways in which the real estate um, sector has uh, discriminated against. You have to look at how um, people of color have been denied loans, have been denied access into certain neighborhoods. Um, you know, when we look at schools, we can say, well, 30% of children are failing. Okay, that's just a statistic, right? 30% of children are failing. But then when you look at race, you then see that of the 30% that are failing, uh, black and brown children are disproportionately represented in the children that are attending failing schools. 
And so that's the whole pushback with um, CRT, right? Because CRT says that you have to look at at the role that race plays um, in, you know, when they looked at the judicial system and the ways in which um, laws were impacting people, we can't just look at numbers. You have to parse it out by race. And when you parse it out by race, um, it paints a different picture. The ways in which Black women um, have higher rates of, of, of death during birth, of, um, you know, there's just so many sectors. We can look at the health sector. We can look at education. We can look at banking. And you will find um, that racism impacts the ways in which uh, black and brown people are able to progress in this society. And it's not a thing of the past. It is still happening today. In fact, I think if you go back even to the framing of the Constitution, while, while uh, slavery is not mentioned directly in the article, Article 4, Section 2 of the Constitution, it's a no person held in service and one state shall be discharged from such service by moving to another state. And basically meaning that if people were slaves, uh, they, it, it was really, really called the Fugitive Slave Act. So, so and at, even after, after slavery, laws were put in place that prohibited blacks from owning land, uh, uh, owning property, being, having free, freedom to travel and so forth. So all of that has kind of really carried us forward. It's almost like we've had an, uh, 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 an ankle weight on us throughout history, uh, not to mention the, you know, the racism in terms of the native people of the who, who were on the land before, before blacks were brought here as slaves. So it's, it's really interesting also the way in which uh, racism has been fused with Christianity, uh, and and, uh, and and what what many don't like to talk about as well with white supremacy. So it's almost like we re we have we still have some hurdles that we have to overcome. Yeah, and you know, Bishop, um, another uh, you know, going back when you look at uh, people can Google the Homestead Act um, that was enacted during the Civil War around 1862. Um, and that Homestead Act said that any adult citizen who had never borne arms against the U.S. government could claim 160 acres of government land. And so folks were given land. Um, and this Homestead Act also um, helped to pull poor whites up to middle class. Well, Blacks were excluded from that. We were not given any of that land just as well as many African-Americans did not have access to benefits after fighting in the Civil War. Um, and so I know there are colleagues that, that talked about, um, they remember that their grandfathers were able to buy their first home um, with the benefits they received after having um, served in the war. They were able to access those benefits and buy their first family home, which then they were able to build equity. And then they were able to begin sending their children and grandchildren to college. Well, African-Americans were locked out of, of, of having that same access. And yeah, when we talk about the church, um, that, that's when the waters really get muddy. And that's what we're here to do, really reflect how we are, you're interpreting things in the church, uh, Anetra and Bishop. And I'm interested to take from both of you that you, you talk about raising awareness in the church. And I'm interested in 
how that's going. For instance, are there any kind of, uh, have you experienced in that or Bishop, any kind of aha moments or moments of enlightenment when, okay, something clicked here. I'm just interested in seeing if we, you know, you've mentioned things where we've got a long ways to go, but I'm interested in any progress we're making. So I'm just throw up. I think that's, that's a good segue for you to mention about the IDI word and some of the things that, that, that we, we have been able to get buy in. Can you help us understand some of that? Yeah. And so, um, and so before I get to the IDI work and an aha moment was, um, there was um, a, a clergy person that that called me and um, he serves in what he said is the reddest county in Indiana. And so um, the reddest county of Indiana, um, and he was beginning to start a Bible study with his all white congregation. And um, there was some hesitancy. And so I always, for some reason, I go to Isaiah 117 and I talked about Isaiah 117 that says, learn to do good, right? There's a learning. We have to engage in learning. We have to do the book studies. We have to study the history and then seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. But first we have to learn. It's the first step. So he went back to his congregation and he took them to Isaiah 117. And there was something for them about being able to see it in the word of God. They said, okay, pastor, we're ready. And they engaged in this Bible study um, with joy. They became open to it. And so uh, moments like that have become aha moments. Um, Talking about the IDI. Um, the IDI is, uh, it's a diversity tool that we are using, Brad, in the conference. Um, it's an assessment that one takes and it measures um, how one perceives, reacts, and responds to difference along a continuum from having a monocultural mindset to an intercultural mindset. Um, and so there are so many aha moments in the debrief. Uh, when I do the debrief with our clergy uh, and our leaders here in Indiana, where someone might see that they fall in minimization. And minimization says that we are very comfortable with sameness, but we're not that comfortable with difference. So as long as I can find a similarity in you and I, Brad, I can have a conversation. We both wear glasses. Where'd you get your glasses from, Brad? Oh my goodness. Did you catch them on sale? Did your insurance cover them? As long as I can find a similarity, I can have a conversation with you, but I'm not comfortable engaging the things about us that are different. And so our leaders are able to see um, those who fall in minimization and the vast majority do how this impacts ministry, how this impacts how we've been going about church development, how this impacts how we have been training up leaders. We have been um, utilizing, in a sense, cookie cutter models, right? We're assuming sameness. But when we assume sameness, it means that people have to check their difference at the door and they have to assimilate and fit in. And so um, we've been having a lot of aha moments with the IDI, and it is causing leaders to now look for difference, to embrace difference, and to welcome difference in the room. 
which fosters um, environments of belonging and inclusion. Mm, that's awesome. And alongside that is, I know you're working on the IN or N against racism campaign. So share with us a little bit of how that, uh, what's involved with that and how that comes alongside the other things you're working with. Yeah, so with the In Against Racism, um, most of what we've done in this last year is we are really just trying to raise awareness. Raising awareness is uh, step number one in this fight against racism. Um, and what we are finding is, unfortunately, folks are not as aware as we think or would like them to be. For those of us who are very aware, it it, it, it does cause a sense of, of frustration, um, but you have to meet people where they are and bring them along. So we've been doing a lot of webinars. We've been doing teachings. As a matter of fact, tonight at 7 p.m. culminates um, our last session of uh, uh, Wesley uh, Racism and United Methodism. Um, so it's been a three-part teaching with Dr. Michael Rankiewicz, who is a professor at Asbury, and Dr. Uh, Betty Hart, who is the chair of CORE. Um, so we've been doing a lot of raising awareness, and um, we have been uploading resources on our website for churches to access. Um, I'll be visiting some of districts, and so on the 23rd, I'll be in the North District leading the clergy in the North District in two three-hour teaching sessions and then closing with a worship celebration. Um, so right now we're just raising a lot of awareness and we still have a long way to go with that before there is an expectation that people are just going to be all hands-on and, and you know, at the next protest with their fist in the air. Uh, that's not going to be happening anytime soon, but we well, just want people you, to I, see... I, I, I'm kind of interested in what you shared there about how raising awareness. And now I'm interested in what you're finding, your observation from perhaps both you, Anetra, and you, Bishop. Are you finding people are, I'm not just going to, you know, use these frames and not derogatory, but are people ignorant about issues? Are they choosing to not pay attention uh, or are they antagonistic? They or get def defensive or something, all of that. Uh, or are they kind of open-minded to it, but just feel like this is a new thing? So just reflect with me a little bit what you're experiencing. I'll, I'll let Anetra uh, finish, but mine is pretty brief. All of the things you just mentioned, all of the things you just mentioned are, are, are true. But Anetra, you may want to expand on what you're experiencing. It, 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 it's all of the above, Brad. And this is one of the things that the, um, the IDI provides us with a framework um, of how uh, people have different um, mindsets and are at, at, are at different places regarding cultural diversity and racism. So at denial, you're going to have your people that just don't see it. I just don't see racism. Why like are the, we even talking Like the Red about County it? you mentioned, it just doesn't affect us because we don't have ethnic people in our county or whatever it is would be, right? Yeah. And, you know, uh, year before last, when I held courageous conversations, um, what I learned was there were many people that said, oh my goodness, I, I never knew that this was an issue. I went to a liberal arts college or university and I never learned this. So you're going to have people in denial. 
but you're also going to have people that are in polarization that are very judgmental. And so these are the people that are going to be very defensive, right? Um, very polarizing on the issues. But then you're going to have folks in minimization. Yeah, I know it exists, but you know what? We're just one human race. We're just all the beloved of God. And natural, when I see you, I don't see color. Yeah, all, all people matter. The response all to some people, people matter. all people matter uh, in contrast yeah. to, you know, Black Lives Matter and so on. That's Absolutely. Thing, right? yeah. All lives matter. Right. And so but you're also going to have people that are in acceptance, that see racism, that kind of understand the workings of it. They're able to see, uh, see difference and they're able to accept it for what it is. And then you're going to have people that are in adaptation. And so. Um, St. Luke's UMC would be a church that operates in adaptation. Not only do they get it, uh, but it's it's infused. It's it's the ethos of the church. It is infused in every area of ministry from the top down. Um, so it's all of the above. Yeah, thank you for that. Well, I want to bring us around to the theme, overall theme, Bishop, of what our podcast is all about, to be encouraged. And you both, Bishop, you and Anetra both have mentioned, you know, several things that are uh, frustrating, a bit discouraging and challenging as well. But I'd really like to hear from both of you uh, at this point about what is, what are you encouraged by? What is going on that is a positive? What is going on in the areas that you're working with Anetra and with you, Bishop, that we can see a path forward that say, okay, God's in this thing. Brad, I am encouraged by the churches that start their first social justice ministry or that have their first anti-racism book study and they come in hesitant and then they embrace it and they're asking their pastor to do it again. I am encouraged by uh, IDI debriefs when I hear someone say, I, I didn't think racism really existed. Although I remember my grandfather had a KKK hood in the closet, right? And then someone's eyes becomes open and now they're speaking up at school board meetings. They're speaking up at city council meetings. They're asking, why are there no Hispanics in the room when we have Hispanics in our Congress, in our, in our community? Uh, these are the things that encourage me. The folks that, that do something for the first time. You can't have a, you can't have a second and third and multiple times until you have a first time. And that's, and a lot of this is a first time, especially for white congregations, rural or suburban and otherwise. Bishop, how about you? How can you bring us around and kind of close our conversation here with a word of encouragement and a word of thanks to, uh, to Anetra today? Well, I want to say, uh, I'm paraphrasing the apostle Paul, when, when our aim is to be pleasing to Christ. And I think, uh, both hate and love cannot occupy the same space. Uh, so I often think that that if we help people become more faithful in their in their desire to be Christians, particularly in the United Methodist Church, we just say, hey, friends, did you know in our Constitution, in our Book of Discipline, that it's embedded in there that 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 racism is a sin, and that we ought to do all that we can as Christians and as United Methodists to 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 eradicate racism, both in the church and society. That's embedded in it. Did you know in our baptismal and membership vows, you know, we say that we will take all, use all manner of our authority uh, to resist evil in every form in which it demonstrates itself. So these are things in order for us to be faithful Christians and faithful United Methodists, we also have to be faithful in this area 
it may bring us some 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 days of uncomfortability, but also bring us closer to beloved community. But what a great way to bring us around. And and we just uh, this is an ongoing conversation that we continue to do. And we're going to continue to uh, embrace this conversation here on the To Be Encouraged podcast. And on to today, we've been uh, pleased to have on To Be Encouraged, Reverend Anetra Jones-Stevens. You heard her share passionately about her life and her ministry. And we'll be bringing connections to what she's all about in our show notes on the To Be Encouraged podcast with Worship Julius Treble. And again, her name is Reverend Anetra Jones-Stevens. We thank you both for being our guest today on the To Be Encouraged podcast. Consider yourself encouraged and appreciated for listening to Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. Now, please share the blessing and encourage others in your life to listen to Be Encouraged. You can do just that by pointing your people to the website tobeencouraged.com. That's T-O-B-E-E-N-C-O-U-R-A-G-E-D.com. Or connect through Apple Podcast, where you can follow, rate, and review To Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimple. When you do that, you're doing your part to bring a good word to a discouraged world. Remember to listen next week to Be Encouraged with Bishop Julius C. Trimble. And never forget, God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it.